0: Craven Cottage makes some noise for the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, welcome to the show. And on today's episode, we're going to be previewing the return of Fulham this Saturday against Newcastle United at the Cottage. We'll also be rounding up the international break for Fulham's players. And of course, we will mostly be discussing Alexander Mitrovic, 50 goals now for Serbia, four goals in two games in the Nations League this international break and the hype around him is getting enormous can we say we told you so yes we can I'm joined by the regular Thursday club today of Jack Collins hello
1: hello mate how you doing
0: you all right yeah I'm good thank you and Peter Rutzler hello
2: hello hello Sammy how are you how are you Jack
1: yeah good good can't complain all's well
2: how was your holiday Peter yeah it's pleasant nice to get away You know, turn off the phone and, uh, yeah, disappear. It was good. I
0: don't know if you listened to last week's Thursday Club. You were obviously on holiday, so I wouldn't have expected you to. But we did discuss briefly where has Peter gone on holiday, because none of us knew. And we did a little bit of a – I wouldn't really call it a sweepstake, but we all just gave our ideas. Um, So can you do the big reveal? Where did Peter Rutzler go on holiday? Uh, I went to Greece.
2: Uh, Oh, Whereabouts? Which, which island? Or was it Stop an island? Us. It was an island uh, in the North Aegean. Is that a beachy holiday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite quiet. um Yeah, beaches, small island. Yeah, very chill, very chill.
0: I'm going to say that Jack won that. So I said that you went camping in the New Forest. Um, Drew said that you went to Spain, uh, but Jack said that you went to Italy. So I think, I think think Italy wins just on geographical proximity. Um, None of us said Greece.
2: I will give that to Jack. Yeah, well, to be fair, camping in the New Forest isn't a bad guess because I haven't just haven't been abroad for a while and uh, it's the kind of thing I'd do. So, um, yeah, Uh, you know the right lines, just not this time. (laughs) <laughs> no, I
0: think, I think you made the right choice as well. It's not been that nice of weather in the last couple of weeks. I think, uh, well, I'm glad you've uh, had a good holiday. Let's look then at all the stories from the last couple of weeks, the last week in particular. Uh, and let's start with the big man, Alexander Mitrovic, 50 goals for Serbia, four goals in two international games, a hat trick against Sweden, and then one last night uh, against Norway. Um, Jack, it feels like the Mitrovic hype is as big as I've ever seen it. So many people from so many clubs are banging on uh, about the talents that we all knew he has had for donkeys. But finally, the world is opening their eyes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great thing for, you know, for for Alexander generally. But also, you know, we look at this and we've, we've talked a lot on this pod about, the fact that that marco silva has built a team around him yes um, but also you know helped him to develop as a player and understand you know the things he's best at and the things that he you know that he can he can do to kind of limit his weaknesses and i think that's what we're seeing at the moment we're seeing a player who ultimately is you know full of confidence in his own ability but also who is showing that he's taken that kind of you know, uplifting club form that we saw to such great extent last year and into this new season uh, and taking that onto the international stage. And and, and look, when, you, when we talk about, you know, Mitrovic from two years ago, right, when we are in the Premier League, he was out of the side in terms of, of, of where Scott Parker saw him in his Fulham side. He misses that penalty, obviously, against Scotland. Um, that means that, that Serbia don't go to the European Championships. And, and you know, how quick that international kind of, redemption arc has come round. and look i think we've seen that in both club and and, and country level you know it's been so super interesting to watch you know a player's development through this through this period no one's ever thought that, that alexander mitrovich is a bad player you know who, who works or or supports, or or has anything to do with Fulham. There's kind of no doubt about that whatsoever. The question was whether his limitations um, in terms of speed or in terms of that ability to press were too much for him to make that step up. And he has answered those so comprehensively over the last 12 months 16, 18 months. That I feel like this is a kind of natural progression, and we are seeing Mitrovic in his final kind of evolved form in the in <laughs> the prime of his career. It just feels like everything around him at the moment feels like it's going right, and it's so wonderful to see because he is such such a brilliant footballer.
0: I mean, Peter, 50 international goals is such an achievement. And my first thought was like, well, it's Serbia. So like, but actually, no, that doesn't make any sense. Serbia have to play the same teams that all the big nations have to. It's not like because they're Serbia and they're maybe not one of the traditionally big football nations that they get easier games. I mean, Harry Kane, 51 goals for England. Obviously, the stat that was doing the round last night was that. Cristiano Ronaldo took 114 interna- uh, international games to score 50 international goals. Lionel Messi took 107. Alexander Mitrovic has taken 76. Now, look, I'm sure there's reasons why you should take that particular stat with a pinch of salt, given maybe where they were playing, their points in their career, etc. But still, it's, it's it's such an unreal achievement like for him to get to 50 international goals this quick.
1: Yeah, no, it is.
2: Um, the the statistics you've mentioned pretty much outline that. Um, not least when you compare it to who's been regarded as the best players on the planet, um, in the last decade or two as well. So, uh, it international football is. It, you've got to bear in mind as well. Like we're talking about a country who are producing, sp- particularly in the last couple of year, last few years, high quality strikers. Um. And in that context, he's retained his place and continued to score goals. He's, he's always scored goals for, for Serbia. Um, they've gone through different coaches. They've gone through different periods of performance level. You know, at the moment, they're on a real crest of a wave. Um, they're performing very, very well, getting some really impressive results and on the best possible place, really, you'd, you'd say, are coming into a, a World Cup. But it's not always been like that, you know. I mean... Jack mentioned two years ago, you know, coming out of the Euros qualification, the, the, the disharmony, the unhappiness there was about some of the performances and the team performances from Serbia, considering the players that they had. Um, obviously, now under Dragon Stojkovic, they're, they're a different, different animal. And I think it's worth mentioning Stojkovic because I don't think he's someone we would normally touch on from a Fulham perspective. Um, we, we obviously have done when, when Serbia and have succeeded, but he's a really, obviously, he's a very famous former. of former player, and, um, and he's a really charismatic character. I think we saw that in his pre-match press conference out of the Norway game where he, he called, I think he, he must, I think he was asked about Haaland, and then he turns around and says, I'm not really worried, I've got Alexander the Great. Um, he He's also had quite a big influence over this past, what, 18 months, 24-month period, um, because even at the peak of that difficult season under Scott Parker in the Premier League, um, you know, Mitrovic missed the penalty, but it was the following international break in March, where he scored some brilliant goals. Um, and that partly stemmed off the back of having conversations with, with Stojkovic and Stojkovic saying, you know, you're, you're still my man. You're still Ser- you know finest goal scorer. Then he broke the record, of course, becoming their all time greatest goal scorer. Um, and that influence has, has been huge and we see that's, you know, Seeing that still on the international stage, he's still scoring at a remarkable rate. 50 goals at international level is superb. And that's been mirrored, of course, by the the, the second impact that's happened, which is, was Marco Silva, which has completely transformed him um, and taken his game to, to a new level. And it, it, he's a player that, it's like with most things in football, you know, the, the, what, what makes football so great and so enjoyable is you get players in so many different shapes and sizes that can do so many different things and, you know, if you ask Mitrovic to sprint 100 metres, he's not going to be quick. If you're asking him to run in behind, that's not his game. But if you build the build your game around what he does best, his ability to link play, his ability to score goals, pick up the spaces in the penalty area, uh, right place, right time, um, to have that kind of influence and, and, and benefit from it, go for it, build your team towards it. Then you're going to get results and, and that's what's happened here and, and you know confidence is massive too he's playing it's almost like he's flying and he just floats around at the moment he's trying things that you know we didn't think would happen you know on the opening day he's going up to van dyke and sitting him down and winning a penalty um you know that's that's confidence um and that's the product of the environment it's a product of the way the teams are set up both uh, national team and then also especially at fulham um playing an attacking style playing to what he does best and and you know he's getting the rewards. Fulham are getting the rewards. Serbia are getting the rewards, and you know it, he is in a f- fantastic moment. And and as Jack said, you know when you think back to two years ago, I was I was speaking earlier today with with a contact in Serbia, just thinking about that point. You know it really was the lowest point of his career when he missed that penalty and against Scotland. Considering where he was at Fulham, he was unhappy. You know the summer before Silver comes in, there was an expectation he would go. Like it's it really is a remarkable turnaround, to get from that point to where he is now and is reflective probably of his character, but also the, the support that he's had from, from his club and, and his country. So, um, yeah, he's going to we're going to continue to talk about him all season, but he, his story is a fantastic one. And he's a top class striker, one of the best in the world. I mean, Jack. I'm obviously
0: looking forward to the World Cup from an England perspective. Although maybe I shouldn't be considering how awful we've been. I'm almost as excited for Serbia's World Cup. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely got to that point now that I am making sure that for all three of Serbia's games, I'm around to watch them. Like, and actually, you look at their group. They've obviously got Brazil. That's incredibly difficult. Switzerland are no mugs. As they as they proved at the last tournament. Um, well, we, we know that Cameroon have got some good players, uh, from, from one of our former
1: Cameroon so have had an absolutely dreadful international break. I woke up at 10 AM earlier last week to, in order to watch them lose two nil to Uzbekistan. Um, okay. they have been rubbish, um, but oh. yes, they do have some good players. So, okay. So, so
0: it's a difficult group. They would then play if they got through the group, either the winners or the runners up of group H. Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. I see no reason why Serbia can't get to the quarters.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've definitely got to be looking at this and the form that, that they're currently in, obviously just been promoted from League B to, to League A in the Nations League um, with that with that performance yesterday. And I think everyone will take a lot of heart from that. They'll get, a, 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 should get at the very least, a, a decent group uh, for the next European qualification, champion, European Championship qualifications. So You know, everything is kind of rosy at the moment. There's a lot of depth in this squad. There's a lot of attacking talent. Some of the lineups we saw, you're watching this and you're going, wow, they're really going for it. You know, it's, you know, Mitrovic and Blavic up front, Kostic on one wing, Lazovic on the other. Milinkovic-Savic is a kind of holding midfielder behind Dusan Tadic. It's... It, there's a lot going on in terms of attacking thrust and it makes Serbia incredibly exciting to watch um and, and yeah I think it's it's really exciting for this World Cup it's a tricky group but not an impossible one obviously there's history with Switzerland given you know the two went off at the last World Cup and there was quite quite a lot of drama in, in that game so I'm sure they'll be out for revenge in, in that regard but yeah it's it's a very very exciting time for Serbia and, and, and Alexander Mitrovic at the forefront of that right now
0: if he scores against Brazil, I can't even imagine how much Twitter is going to explode. Um, it's, with, it's written in the stars, please, Mitrovic, that would be so epic. Although maybe we need to start <laughs> calming the hype on him for, for obvious reasons. And one thing that I will support Serbia in the World Cup, but I am not copying that shirt. It is horrific, both the home and away, but the away in particular... Hey, it's like someone like a five-year-old got on a Microsoft Paint. Um, Peter, you wanted to come in.
2: No, I, I was gonna. Uh, it doesn't quite work, but I'll chip in anyway. There was a lot of yeah. unhappiness, I think, in Serbia about those shirts. I think, judging at least, anyway, you could see it on social media reaction. But um, yeah, it's not warmly received. I've got
1: a Serbia shirt from the last World Cup, and it's really nice. The away with the like flag down the middle of it as a kind of like feature. It's a really, really lovely shirt. So if you want a Serbia shirt for the World Cup, that's the one I'd I'd recommend. Well,
0: the the white one that um, Mitrovic scored the famous goalie against Portugal is absolutely lovely. Um, I'm hoping it might be a little bit cheaper as it's obviously not the current edition. So I might get that one um, to to show my support for for Mitro because that's an iconic shirt. But yeah, Puma have had an absolute stinker on this uh, current set. Let's move on to some other Fulham names uh, who played uh, for their international teams. I mean, Peter, there isn't actually an awful lot to go off here. I know Decadova reed played um, against Argentina. For Jamaica, uh, the Reggae Boys lost three 0 Dan James played for Wales uh, in Cardiff, and obviously uh, Marek Rodat played. Uh, any particular highlights from from the rest of the international break, Peter? I didn't think there was an awful lot. Obviously, Luke Harris didn't get on the pitch, which would have been uh, a big moment for him. But still amazing for him to be in the squad considering his age and his experience.
2: Um, yeah, I think I think the sort of the main headlines, I suppose, are, are, are that Luke Harris was with the squad. Um... That he, you know, has <laughs> caught the eye enough to, to be involved and, and to be in that environment, and by all accounts seems to have had a good experience there. And, and you know, the Wales national team staff really do rate him quite highly, and bodes very well going forward. And you know, even at this stage, he hasn't even played a league game, and he's, he's already in, the, in that setup. That's just it speaks volumes, really. And it, it was already overachieving, so a good experience all round. Um, but yeah, as you say, not too many other headlines. Obviously, Naiskins Cabano has picked up a knock. Um, mm. he went off against Burkina Faso in the 20th minute, and then he was released, um, by DR Congo over the week, uh, earlier this week, um, back to Fulham. So we'll have to find out how serious that is. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just going through, I think I looked down, I think Kieran Bowie's an interesting one. He scored for Scotland's under 21s yeah. and he started very well on loan at Northampton as well. He's made a real impact there. Um, so he, he's one to keep an eye on, especially as, as he, he keeps performing well for the Cobblers. One I imagine you want to
1: mention, Jack, is Ollie O'Neill. Yeah, I mean, bad day for the under-21s, should have won uh, in the first leg of this under-21 European playoff against Israel. Um, It was a 1-1 draw at Talat, but Ireland with the better side, went to Tel Aviv, tried to basically scrape out a a 0-0, it worked, went to penalties and then Ireland missed all of their penalties, um, which was basically a bit of a shambles. But uh, Oli (laughs) O'Neill came on. Uh, for For the under twenty ones which is nice um, and that squad is is, is getting better and it looks like the island new setups are improving, which is nice. Some interesting ones that I thought you know Marek Ro you mentioned there conceded three goals over the two games to Azerbaijan and belarus so not the most successful international break for Marek um, and Trapolinia played for Portugal in the first game, and they got moved to center back. Which I thought was, was interesting. I haven't seen that before. Now, it's part of a funny story where basically um, the Portugal manager Fernando Santos has Tiago Jalo on the bench, who is a centre back who, who plays for Lille, um, very competent centre back, but has never made a Portugal appearance. Um, and instead of, when, when his centre back got injured, instead of bringing Tiago Jalo on, he moved Polinho into centre back. And afterwards in the press conference, basically they were like, why didn't you bring on Tiago Jallo?" And he was like, oh, I completely forgot he was there. <laughs> No,
0: no. He was like, I'm so
1: sorry. I apologise to Thiago Diallo. In my head, I just forgot about him at that moment. This man has never made a cap for Portugal. Your manager is forgetting about you. That is one of the biggest, like faux pas what? I've seen in football for ages so yeah not a great there is a skill though and
0: and you know if you're not regularly a substitute like I have had plenty of experience being there is a skill to warming up in front of the manager and making sure that you're in his eyesight and maybe that's not what he, he did there is a, there is an art to it and making sure I know that um Jimmy Bullard famously said that he did that when he uh, was pulled up for England and yeah, he did like warm-ups in front of Fabio Capello uh, to try and get his eyes but uh, without without
2: success how none of Santos's assistants flagged this or any other member of staff.
1: Well, basically, he had Joao Mario kind of warmed up and ready to bring on, which is fine, who is a centre midfielder. Um, and obviously then the injury comes and instead of just being like, oh, I'm going to change the substitute, he's clearly gone, oh, what I could just do is, is just push Polina further back, which is fine, right? It's not a problem. But someone probably should have given him the heads up, yeah.
0: But for him um, not to then find out until like the press conference after, surely like somewhere during the game, went, oh yeah damn like i maybe like like you know you've only got uh, 60 seconds or whatever to make a decision i can almost understand the, the battle the fact that he still didn't realize until someone oh. pointed him out i really obviously i don't want this to happen but i'm really hoping peter one day gets the opportunity to do this to like marco silver he's like crap i forgot about kevin and babu or something like that <laughs> he's
1: yeah. on the bench a very <laughs> strange one very strange <laughs> one all round.
0: Um, let's discuss these Luke Harris rumors, um, which have kind of come out of nowhere. I don't know how much credence there is to them, but Luke Harris, um, apparently, um, Chelsea tabling a 30 million pound offer to buy him. Um, as as we mentioned earlier, he's not made a a league appearance for Fulham yet, but he's obviously a, a striker who is very, very gifted has scored an awful lot of goals, um, for the for the youth sides at at all levels um peter i mean it's crazy money for someone that hasn't played for us it screams of kind of patrick roberts type offer when we got that and it almost was like well if you're going to offer that amount of money then maybe we're going to have to take it but I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That as soon as Fulham get a decent youth player, even when you tie him to a contract, we thought, great, this is it. This, we, can, we can relax and we can, uh, we can hope that we can hold on to him and still the vultures come swooping.
2: I mean, it's inevitable that Harris will attract interest and we talked about it before about, um, you know, how, how big clubs are looking at him. Of course they are. In terms of the, the bid and the offer, that's not something I'd heard. Um, I'm not sure. That that's necessarily the case, but that a club like Chelsea are looking at him is not a, wouldn't be a surprise. I think the the fears you mentioned now that it's been reported, um, it's interesting because it, it then floats a valuation, doesn't it? I suppose. Um, and that's, it's an impressive number for someone who's not played a league game yet. Um, Harris obviously signed his first professional contract, um, in the same week that he got his, his Wales call up, um, for him and you know for those around him and, and for the club fulham is the best place to be right now for his development um has been, in, you know there's, there's real encouragement that he's been involved with the first team under marco silva um the warm words that marco silva said about him that he will be getting minutes uh i don't see luke harris leaving in the short term i just don't see that happening for now um but uh, things can change quickly. We, we saw that, of course, with, with, with Carvalho, but uh, not not for me at the moment. I think as with Carvalho, it was the second contract that becomes difficult. And, you know, Fulham have given Harris a three-year deal. That's the most they can offer under FIFA regulations for someone under 18. Um, that's naturally is a is a problem if you're, if you're a club like Fulham when there are bigger clubs trying to to swoop and take take your players. So how they manage the situation is important. How they manage the pressure now is is important because he's on a lot of people's radars. Um, not just and I'm not just talking in terms of you know clubs. I'm talking about people in general. You know people are aware of him. You know it's, it's, in football sense, his his life is sort of changing quite quickly, and he's still very young. So this is a pretty important period and. His career, and um, you know, he's he's exceptionally talented. You know, we talked about the goals he scored from midfield. He's that he's a has that natural ability to to pop up in the penalty area to score goals. It's something he's had ever since he was young. Um, joined Fulham at fourteen. Um, did a piece last week, um, just touching on his journey so far, and, and you know why, why he's ended up in the Whale squad. Um, so, but yeah, but for now, you know, it's Fulham is where he, he's is best for him. There's no doubt about that.
0: Uh, and Peter, I'm sure you might want to um, bring up the article that you've written uh, about Luke Harris um, this time last week. I think you released it. Um, uh, a great kind of insight into um, his development and 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 how he's kind of risen to prominence uh, in the last it was really six months. I feel like I mean, we kind of knew he was on the radar maybe six months ago, but no one was really talking about him until this season.
2: I, I, it's, it's an interesting one because he talent was known. Like you, we knew about it, I knew about it, um, but he, because he was so young, you just, you didn't, you didn't talk it up so much. Um, I think, I think the, for the under 18s, I think, you know, when he was, he was still a schoolboy, age 15, he was scoring goals and, and contributed to when they won the National League South under Steve Wigley. Um, scored again a hatful of goals for the under-21s last season, again under under Wigley, and, and then also chipping in for Ali Malou's under-18 side too. Um, you know, he's, he's been quite consistent. And, and just in the piece, we touched on the fact that he's from Jersey. Um, obviously, he had the choice of playing for any one of the four uh, UK nations, but um, there's no doubt he's no chance to be playing for, for, for England. Obviously, he's had his Welsh call-up, but um, there's a strong Welsh connection on his father's side of the family, um, and it just touches on that, really. Um, he, he joined Fulham age 14, obviously, there's, there's actually specific rules regarding players leaving Jersey at a younger age and, as you'd expect, um, at academy level. Um, but came in, went to King's to school and um, is the latest sort of to emerge from, from Mott'sford Park, really, with the track record that they have now is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, it. it, it I know we, 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 there's a frustration about players, A, getting into the first team and, and making sure that Fulham get the right price for, for these talented players that they're producing. But on a basic level of the fact that they are producing these players with such consistency, um, really deserves a lot of credit um, because it's uh, not easy and, and certainly not easy for a club that's in London competing with some very well-established academies, uh, academies and clubs that can offer and do offer uh, can offer not just more money, but can invest more money into into their setup. So um, yeah, another another player with potential. We have to stress that because he's only seventeen. And as, as Marco Silva said when he was asked about it in the pre match press conference for, for Forrest, uh, following Harris's call up, you know, he's they don't want to put too much pressure on him. He's got to get, it's got to be the right steps, the right, the right progress. But if you've got the talent, and you'll be involved. And I am um, sure it won't be long before we see him playing the league.
0: I mean, it is amazing, Jack, that this academy pipeline just continues to churn out players like, OK, we've lost Carvalho. That's annoying. Right onto the net. And, and I remember thinking, oh, well, is there another big hope in the academy? I feel like we'll be we- waiting a few years and and along comes Luke Harris. Yes, I know he hasn't played yet and uh, it's not quite at Carvalho levels, but still just the the. The pipeline of talents is is amazing and, you know, let's not get into the whole, can we keep them, all of that, because we've done it so many times, but it's just impressive, isn't it, really, that we, we continue to just bring through these players and I, I feel like we are starting to see real, real fruit from what has been decades of labour since Fulham actually started taking their academy seriously, or at least from the outside perspective, it seemed like that was when they took it seriously.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, right? It's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant pipeline that continues to churn out talent. And, you know, I've mentioned on the pod before, but it's not just about bringing through the absolute top quality. It's, you know, the, the academy can be a source. You know, if you bring players through that play kind of any level of professional football, that's a success, a major success. And, and it should be kind of seen as such as well because those things are incredibly important. You know, it's not just about being the club. It's about giving... Opportunities to people who you know can then go and make a, a living from from football, and, and allowing people who have talent to flourish, you know, at whatever level that ends up being at. But yeah, I think obviously the the headline names are always going to kind of steal the spotlight, uh, and and it just seems to be such a, a wonderful process at the moment. It's you know a rich catchment area. Let's let's be honest in terms of you know the talent available and that Fulham can bring in players from kind of across South London and you know across West London as well. These are these are catchment areas that that are, you know, we've seen some some wonderful footballers kind of across the you know across the the country come out of uh, of these kind of areas of, of London, and and ultimately Fulham need to be tapping into that, and, and right now we are, and that feels like such a you know uh, such a a source of a source of pride, I think, is is, is a major point, but also just a source of uh, something that the club can be can be rightly you know excited about for the future, and that you know if things continue to go this well, you know, and you continue to produce. Very, very, very top quality players. Other players will want to come in. You know, young players who'll go. Okay, I've seen. You know, Fulham aren't the biggest name in London by by a uh, you know a, a significant margin, I would say. And and you know, we still have players here who'll be looking at you know at young ages and going right. What's the best career path for me? Where's the best place that I can go for my development? And the more you see players coming out on the at the top level, your Cavallios, your Cessonians, Luke Harris, the latest obviously of this line you know and that's going to inspire young players to be like right maybe fulham is the place for me to go and you know continue my development because we've seen that there are the results speak for themselves and i think that's an important point as well
0: And just before we take a break, Peter, another article that you did this week was speaking to uh, Steve Jay, uh, the manager of the Fulham women team. Um, You went to the game against Ebbsfleet at Motspur Park, which Fulham lost 2-0. They also had a game on Sunday, which they won 2-0 against AFC Acorns. Uh, They're currently uh, mid-table in their division. Uh, you've got a few established names in there like Sutton United and, and Millwall Lionesses. And, and we know that Fulham women is n- not at the level that we often see on the telly. It's not even really that close to what you might see in the WSL or the, the championship below it. Fulham are kind of doing it their own way. Um, what, what did Steve have to say, though, when, when you spoke to him after that Ebb's fleet game?
2: yeah I think I chose the wrong game should have gone to the, the acorns game rather than a two 0 defeat it was uh, it was unhappy with the with the, with, with the loss um but yeah no it was good to, to catch up with with Steve J and, and the progress that the team are making you know it's, it's no secret they want to get out of this division um as we've written before and, and talked about it's a hard division with one promotion spot there are clubs with who are all pushing in the same direction really to try and to take that step up. Fulham have in the last couple of years um Increase their investment, particularly in the last year with, with the women's team coming under the performance side of the club, no longer the, the charity arm, the Fulham Foundation. Um, so that comes under the agreement of, of Hugh Jennings in his uh, head of football development role. Um, and, you know, they've, they've increased their staff numbers. They, they've done so again. They've added a, an under-18 side this year as well to help improve the pathway. Um, and we talked about how they want basically to have that that local role, that local community element of, of of getting girls to play football and, and improving participation, um, while also having a, a strong strong senior side. Um, so in that sense, they they done okay. Obviously, it's two defeats already this season is is disappointing, particularly considering their their expectations. But you know, it was it was good to speak to Steve about not just Fulham Women and, and, the, and the progress they need to make, but also um, the Euros as well and the success that, that England have had and and what that can do. You know, Steve spoke really well about how. You know, he went to I think the quarterfinals and the final, he went to the quarterfinals by himself and he said he found it quite a, a moving experience to see that many people supporting the national team, being so invested in, in the national team in the women's game. Um, and, you know, and part of that is visibility. It's seeing people playing that sport, saying, oh, I can do that. You know, I, I why can't I play this sport? Well, this is a sport for me. And uh, part of that, I think, from a Fulham perspective is, is playing at Craven Cottage, um, which is something that's. Should be on the agenda and um, something that, that Jay feels would be a real a real step forward and that looks like something that could happen. So um, there they're certainly making steps forward. There's there's small steps forward. Um, and as you say, Fulham aren't at that level of the of the team you see on the TV. And um, but there there has been progress over the last year, particularly um, They're improving their squad. They've added a couple more more players um, in the summer and now it's just about getting out of the division that's that's the target that's that's the challenge and um you know that you can clearly see the patterns of play that the style they're, they're adopting it's a similar 4-3-3 to what we see with the men's team um and now it's just about getting the results and, and getting up getting up the tiers i think playing at craven cottage would
0: be a massive step forward i think that it would send such a signal. We've seen, you know, huge success of other clubs doing that. I don't think, you know, Fulham's not going to rebuild this overnight and um, into in, in turning it into the, you know, you saw, uh, I watched quite a bit of the Arsenal Spurs game um, where there was uh, about 45 to 50,000 um, at the Emirates um, and, and Arsenal won, I think, 4-0 in the end and, and were really impressive. It was a good game and like actually Spurs weren't that bad either but obviously Arsenal just a, a bit of a level above and you, you'd love to see Fulham women get to that stage, but like playing at Motspur Park, it's not as easy for people to get to. It's not as attractive as people don't, it's, it's unfamiliar um, to people as well. Not many people have been to Park or would know how to get there um, specifically I think when it's at Craven Cottage people are just comfortable they know how to get there they know their routines they know where to go I think it would be such a huge step forward and uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see if they can build that if you want to read either of Peter's articles on Luke Harris or the Fulham women team it's all on The Athletic right now okay we're going to take a break and afterwards we'll look ahead to Saturday's game against Newcastle Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Talking of other teams playing at Craven Cottage, uh, we were just mentioning in the break that the Fulham under 21s team are playing Valencia at Craven Cottage. Valencia under
1: 21s, I should point out, not the first team at Valencia. Although, to be uh, fair, Valencia are the youngest team in Europe, so it's actually not that much difference.
0: <laughs> well, it's at seven o'clock at Craven Cottage on Wednesday in the Premier League International Cup. Uh, if you fancy going down there to support the lads. Uh, should be uh, a decent atmosphere. I know they played a game at Craven Cottage last year and it was uh, was a decent turnout for that one. So uh, hopefully it'll be a decent turnout. They're playing um, some quite good teams, quite fun teams in this International Cup over uh, the next uh, few months or so. I saw that get uh, announced. Um, They were all in England and everyone was like, wait, where's the European tour? I (laughs) want to go to Valencia to watch the under-21s. I don't want these games to be in England. Everyone just needs to wait six months. The the Conference League is coming. You'll be able to get Passports out then, uh, but the first step uh, to getting that Conference League spot is to beat Newcastle on Saturday. Back in the Premier League, back at Craven Cottage, um, it's been a uh, it's been a while. We had we didn't play a game at Craven Cottage in September after the Chelsea game was postponed uh, against Eddie Howe's Newcastle, who have had a weird start to the season, Jack, drawing an awful lot of games, but. Mm resilient had some good performances in there shouldn't have lost really the game they did lose to liverpool um took man city all the way probably unlucky not to win it um had they just held on um but there have also been some kind of meek games in there typified by their one or draw against bournemouth last time out don't really know what to make of them but maybe not a bad
1: time to be facing them because they've also got some injuries which is uh, which is helpful yeah, they haven't been very good on the road, um, which has been kind of strange. They they were okay at Molyneux. That was probably the, the best game that they played. And they obviously, as you mentioned, the Anfield game. Um, but that Liverpool side are a bit all over the place at the moment. And yeah, I think that obviously this is a very good squad and they have they've been very impressive over the last sort of well, let's say eight months, nine months or so. Um, and, and so obviously it's going to be a tricky test, but yeah, it does feel like a, a good time to be playing them. Um, Bruno Gibbardes looks like he might play. Um, he, he left the Brazil training camp. Um, Instead of instead of playing in the second game against Ghana, um, so he looks to be like he might be back in the rotation by that point. But Alex Izak picked up an injury on Sweden duty. Chris Wood picked up an injury on New Zealand duty, and Callum Wilson is still, you know, according to uh, Newcastle sources, being I open quotes wrapped in cotton wool. Um, so yeah, there's it does look like they might lack a focal point. Um, so, so that might be something, and and I think that it's probably, you know, worth thinking about. That Nick Pope wasn't great for for England in in that game against Germany. I didn't think so. A lot of players maybe a little bit out of you know not out, out of kilter. Perhaps is probably the the right word. It's you know obviously going to be an incredibly difficult task. We're missing Polina, which is going to be, um, well, something that something the market was going to have to deal with. Obviously, we, there was an article uh, on the website from Jack Stroudley about this and how we kind of deal with the, the Polina sized hole in the midfield. So that's going to be a, a very interesting thing for, for markets to have to deal with. Um, but yeah, it does feel like we're playing Newcastle at a relatively good time. You know, they haven't had a massive chance to to kind of reinvigorate this squad because a lot of them will have gone off on international duty. Uh, there's been these injuries, as we mentioned before, and, and they're not in the greatest run of form, but still a very good side. I mean they seem
0: resilient Peter I could very much see this being a draw whilst you know they'll they lack they're going to lack goals with the injuries that they've got Fulham are obviously not at 100% either and to be honest I would probably still take a draw but that's the beauty of Fulham's position now that we're in that you can kind of take draws like a draw against Newcastle at home would just be a nice steady stable result would I love to win would it be fantastic to win yes but like I'm you still got to treat Newcastle with respect they've invested heavily and and whilst things haven't quite gone their way it's been fine margins to trademark a certain former manager
2: yeah I mean it's it, tough <laughs> to to repeat repeat fine margins um, it, yeah, but that, yeah that's how that's how it can roll and they've had some good performances they're unlucky in a couple of games Liverpool comes to mind with a, the late Carvalho goal the injuries make it an opportunity but considering that Fulham are without Palinia, it's almost fortunate in a way that Newcastle have their own issues almost um, an equaliser in a way and I think for for me, that the most important thing is is maintaining those performance levels at the cottage because they they have been the backbone to this strong start to the season. Um, those first half opening salvos where Fulham come out teams make them realise that it's not going to be a nice trip to uh, to the banks of the Thames and um, and make teams work. And, and that's that's been a trademark, and and Capellini has been really important in that. You know, with his aggressive ball winning, his physicality, and. Um, make, just maintaining that those principles that Fulham have established um, will be really important and, and, and you know the, the start has been good that a point would as you say something would be would be a respectable result and it's probably testament to you know to how well Fulham have done The expectations are, have grown a little bit you know coming into home games like this um, Newcastle without some key players think well why can't Fulham win and, and that's 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 a good thing as much as it can be you know, it can distort the, you know, what, what, what's expected, but to have that belief in your players, the belief in the team that's shared both within the squad and then on the terraces, it's, it's a really, really good position to be in. So yeah, ahead of a good month, maintaining that momentum from Forest, which is just a, a fantastic result, a really fantastic result. Um, to get to get October off to the best start because the fixtures in October are, are massive, a massive. If if you if you if you know for all the good start, if if October ends with zero points, which it, it won't, it can change everything because of who, who they're playing. Um so um let's let's see and, and I think you know starting well will be at least
0: I touched Wood on behalf of
2: everyone when he said that uh, we won't get zero points um, in
0: October there for you, Peter. (laughs)
1: Sound the horn! Sound the horn! (laughs) Uh,
0: It hopefully is a good run of fixtures. Uh, Newcastle at home, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, Villa at home, Leeds away, Everton at home. That is a nice premier league run of fixtures um so important ahead of the world cup that we do get a couple of wins and if we can start it on saturday that'd be fantastic um jack i feel like there's been so much debate over who should start polinia because it's kind of fallen in an international break where there's not been so much to talk about so it's, uh, i think
1: the topic that's on everyone's lips is what we do what would you do Chalaba? Um, like I, I wouldn't switch the system up. It's been working and Chalibur is the most like-for-like player that we have. Obviously, you know, the, there is a, a drop-off in quality. I don't think anybody's denying that. But in terms of actual stylistic nature, I think that Chalibur is the person best set to actually fill the exact role that Polinia does. And And look, we talked about this last year, right? We were saying in games where... Marcus Silva was starting Chalobah and 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 Harrison Reed together. That he was maybe thinking about that with that with the Premier League in mind. That there's slightly more defensive element to to that duo than that there was with some of the other midfields that we we saw last year across the course of the season. So, I, I think that he will keep you put caliber in there I think he is the natural kind of fit to drop in there and and maybe Pareda's asked to drop a little bit deeper to just to help out with a little bit you know of those defensive defensive worries without Pellini in the team I think that's probably what I would do
0: and maybe a Decadova Reed as well to help with the kind of like lack of defense uh, the the lesson defensive output as well obviously Decadova is very good at defending from the front yeah it probably I mean the game that like I go back to when I think of like the best Chalaber Reed performance was Middlesbrough away, a really really difficult game. Obviously, one of the most important games I think of Fulham's promotion, and you know going to a stadium that was a fortress at the time. We actually ended up turning it into very much not a fortress ever since we got that result. But at the time we went there, it was a hugely difficult game, and they battled and they scrapped and and they just about managed to kind of keep the midfield battle even. And so I think if we can take some learnings from that, I personally think it should be Chalabra as well. I know I've seen all of the theories, um, sticking D op at a DM, or you could put Kearney there and maybe drop Pereira deep or have Reed doing that role. But I just think,
2: personally keep it simple. Peter, what would you do? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the Chalobah camp basically for every reason that Jack said. I think the one other element to the way Fulham are playing is that you know Harrison Reed is covering a lot of ground um obviously we saw him score against Forest but he's sort of playing as a he, he is playing as an eight um but also with a lot of six responsibilities um and he works very well on that right hand side it's a position he's been playing for the past what, 12 months his combinations with, with both Kenny Teta and whoever was Harry Wilson before of course and uh, whether it's Bobby Deca over reed or, or, or Willian, as we saw against Forrest, that worked really quite nicely. He knows that position in that area of the field quite well. And I, I think I wouldn't want to disrupt that. Um, that said, I don't see a reason why Tom Kearney can't play. Um, now, I think Tom Kearney's had some pretty good influences in the games where he's come on. I think that that's actually suiting him quite well as a, as a role, whether that's to see out games, to retake control of games. I mean, he had a great impact against Tottenham. Um, I, I think the, 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 the question is, do you then play with essentially two tents and then read in the six? And I think that disrupts pretty much what Fulham have done quite a bit so far this season. Um, basically as Jack said, I, th- I would try and keep things as, as familiar as, as, as possible, um, as, as what is possible because, you know, there'll be maybe knocks and, and things like that. So, um. Yeah, I think I think it'll be I think it will be Chalibur. I think, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's it's he played well against Borough last season and I, I think he has the he has the, the attributes that are closest to, to what Polinia brings. But at the same time, whoever comes in is not going to be Del Polinia. Polinia is very unique in what he does. Um his influence. We've seen the stats, you know, most tackles in what Europe's top five leagues and um that's that's hard to hard to replace. Um but I think maintaining that balance that they've got in midfield is, is important. Um, because I, I think for Kearney to to do well, you want, you'll want to be playing against a team that's that's sitting off and, and won't necessarily re- require that industry element. Because that's for all that Kearney can do it, I think chalaba probably could do that better. So, um, yeah, we won't. Yeah, that's the I mean.
0: Well, But also a, a formidable midfield opponent against Bruno Guimarães who is going to want to run that midfield. This is this is a yeah, hell and Joe an Linton approach. as
2: well. I mean, jo, yeah. Joe Linton as a midfielder now, it seems to suit him so well in terms of his physical attributes and, and that suggests it's going to be quite competitive in there. Um, and I think Fulham will probably have to try and match that.
0: And um, the other starting debate really is going to be uh, defence. Um, Jack,
2: it, it all
0: really rests on the fitness of A, Robinson and B, Kazawa. I would really like for us not to have to play the same system that we did against Forest. It just about worked. Ream did actually play very well, but I, I personally do not see it as a long-term option um, because, yeah, I, I think either against Almiron or Sam Maximan whoever starts in that right wing for, for Newcastle will have a lot of fun if they're going one they're going to go with Tim Ream. So I guess we just got to hope that mostly hope that Robinson's fit, but I guess if Kazar was managed to get some fitness over the international break, then great. But the fact that he wasn't even on the bench against Forrest suggests that that's quite a steep rise from not in squad to starting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, one of those we haven't heard very much. Obviously the press conferences aren't till later in the week. So just one we've got to wait and see on. Yeah, um, right. Well, we'll take a break there. Uh, fingers
0: crossed Fulham can do the business on Saturday against Newcastle. Afterwards, we've got a couple of questions. Fulhamish is brought to you by Green King, your home of pub sports. They've got over 900 sports pubs across the country because Green King is where the fans go showing every broadcast game for Fulham. So head down to your nearest pub and you can enjoy every live sporting event from BT and Sky Sports on tap. And if you download the Green King season ticket app, you can receive a free drink when you register and get 10% off a great range of drinks one hour before, during and after any match. So head to the app store and search season ticket to download the app. And when registering, if you use the promotion code fullamish one word capital letters, as a listener of this show, you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. So make Make sure you download the Green King season ticket app, use the code Fulhamish. that's all one word, capital letters, and you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. That's from Green King, Is where the fans go, your home of pub sport. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. This will catch on in a second, but let's get into some questions. This first one from John Stevens Hall says, hi there. It looked to me that we made an adjustment in the second half of the forest game by pulling Mitro back into a deep false nine and letting him make plays. Does this corroborate with how you guys saw the game? I mean, certainly that third goal, Peter, um, Mitro was in that kind of deep lying playmaker almost position to make that pass to Deca Reed, which sets that move um going. Um, he is capable of doing that, isn't he? If he has limited success in the first half, dropping deeper and and, and kind of dictating the play from deep. I mean we've we've seen it last season but Mitro likes, I think kind of relishes that that role as well if he has to.
2: Yeah, I mean he was involved in all three goals, wasn't he? I think the obviously the one from the corner he makes a block and and the second one as well is in the same area of the field. So you know he skips past a couple of challenges, plays the ball to Reed, I think. Uh, and then gives it to William, and William then sets up um, Kenny Teta sets up Japalinya. Um, um, but yeah, I I don't think that was a, a specific kind of tweak. I just think Mitrovic does that. That's just part of his game now. Um, maybe it was. Maybe I, I, I sort of missed it. Um, but you know, we we saw it all last season. We've talked about how his role has, has evolved, and that part of that evolution is not just him scoring goals in the penalty area. It's being a full target man that disrupts opposition defences and can bring others into play. Um, It's similar, I'm not saying it's the same, similar to what Kane does at Tottenham, but Kane does it to an exceptional level um, as a number 10 and his passing is, I think, is is, is a lot better than Mitrovic's. I don't think that's Mitrovic's best attribute. But at the same time, what we've seen from Mitrovic in the past 12 to 18 months is that he can do it and do it very well. You know, we talked a lot about the combinations he would make with Harry Wilson on that right-hand side last season, um, those round-the-corner passes. Um, and he, he is able to drop into central areas to create overloads in the middle of the pitch, to bring the wide players in, to use those onward runners. And, um, and we saw that to good effect against Forrest. And that's, that's just a weapon that Fulham now have in their armoury and, and probably something that's massively overlooked by everyone who doesn't actually watch Fulham because Mitrovic is able to do that. He is able to play in a more well-rounded way. I think his average touch positions, I remember doing a piece last year, Compared to what he'd done before, it dropped significantly um, for Fulham in, in, in the Championship because he is getting involved in the play and he's allowed to do that. And Silver wants him to do that. And you know he said it himself. He said it after he broke the the, the Ivan Tony's record. Um, when I spoke to him after the game, he talked about that's what he's been allowed to do and the different elements to his game now. So um, yeah, it's definitely something that he's he's great at um, and it's just helpful for Fulham. It's another weapon in their in their arsenal. I did just
1: quickly bring this up, Sammy, in terms of the stats. I just went on my 23 toolbox and had a little look at both his passing networks and his event count maps um, for the first and second half. There's no major drop off. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, the, he, he drops a little bit deeper. You'd imagine if you're picturing the kind of opposition half in the first half, he's pretty much bang between the center spot and the, uh, and the penalty box. He's slightly more towards the center spot in the second half. I think maybe what's most interesting is actually the wingers are pushed up for much higher. Um, as is Andreas Pereira's position in that second half. So actually maybe it's not necessarily so much that Mitrovic dropped off any further than he usually did. I think it might have been more that other players were actually getting in front of him um, and and then providing him with those kind of passing triangles, those passing options, um, because they all seem to have moved up a little bit further in this second half. His events map, pretty much reads similarly. Yes, in the first half, he actually has more touches in the kind of center circle spot. Um, that five, kind of five in there and five out on the wide, but deep um, and kind of one or two in the, in the box. In the second half, he touches the ball pretty much everywhere, although there are more pickups and more events that he does in our own half in the second half. So maybe that's, maybe worth pointing out, but that's just the, that's just the raw data. I haven't had a chance to really kind of contextualise it. Um, I just pulled it up while you were, while Peter was speaking. So yeah, a little bit, um, but maybe it's as much to do with the players around him as, as necessarily to do with a uh, traditional tactical sweep, tweak.
2: In the context of this season as well, you know, Fulham aren't dominating the ball as much. So M- Mitzvig won't be doing that as often as we probably would have seen him do last year because Fulham aren't using, using him in build-up as much. Um, but you can still do it and it's still something that they can use and, and that worked very well against Forest.
0: Another question here from Wes. He says, um, hello, Fulhamish. As a long-time listener and fan of the podcast, I want to say thank you for all the brilliant commentary and insights in good time and bad. You're giving me a priceless connection to Fulham as I've been living away from the UK for the past seven years. He says, a question for the panel. In the recent Willian uh, Athletic piece, he mentions his adaptability to play on either wing or as a number 10. I thought he had a brilliant full debut and was a key player in all three Fulham goals. Given that we have considerable competition on both wings, once what Wilson and Solomon. do you think silver might consider playing willian in the midfield triangle um before you answer that question i just want to say that that article from simon johnson on willian is really really fascinating um i learned a lot mostly he wants to become a football agent um when he's done, which um, I certainly had never even heard of that kind of route, certainly for not a top level player. Um, definitely worth a read, but yeah, uh, your thoughts on uh, Wes, uh, and he adds at the bottom of the email that he's in Tim Reem's
2: hometown of St. Louis. So uh, oh. thank you, Wes. Well, yeah, he, he, he's capable of doing it. He has done it before in, in the past, I think he's, if you, he, when you watch him play, when he plays on the left, he likes to drift in field. Um, so sort of a bit more, a bit wider, I think against forest. Um, but it's in his arsenal. I, I don't think that would be something that Fulham would want to go to straight away um, if, unless it was probably forced um, because there are other options there like, like Tom Kearney, Pereira of course and Luke Harris. You've got, we should factor him in into that position but it, it does help in games. It does help if you've got injuries. It does help um, having a player of that kind of uh, familiarity uh, means that you can, you can step into that role if he's coming inside, if he's playing. Uh, in, in wider areas and that's where his his experience, you know, tells, um, but yeah, it's an option, but I I think considering the energy required in that number 10 position, um, not that William can't do it, but I don't think it's his best strength.
0: No, I, I think that there's also just so much competition. I'm not sure how great that looks to Tom Kearney either if Willian um, gets the number 10 role if ever something happened to Andreas Pereira. I'd like to think he is the uh, the incumbent for that role if, if Pereira ever uh, can't play a match. I mean, I just, that piece though, Willian's just like, seemed like a really level head. I don't know why maybe I'd just maybe put Willian down in a box of being a bit of a flamboyant, just classic, just player that's come over here and hasn't got much to say but actually i I was i've really learned something from this piece about william i definitely um give it a read and uh, i i do hope that his uh his potential future career as a football agent goes well i did enjoy one part of the piece though where he blamed um some of his bad times at corinthians on the pitches uh, he was just like the pitches weren't good enough for me i was like okay i'm sure everyone else has to deal with the bad pitches is there something that Ann
1: can't cope unless it's an absolute yeah carpet? but maybe if you've been used to, maybe if you've been used to playing in the premier league on carpets for you know quite some time it's it's a bit of a culture shock now i don't think it's an excuse but he mean he needs I, I to remember. get
0: down he needs to get down down to some of the pitches that i play sunday league on see <laughs> yeah but that, that's probably.
1: the dif- that's the difference i that's a very different question isn't it it's like one of those quite strange ones um but alas no i, I think it's fair. a couple of players have become agents haven't they um the matiah kesman is sergo milinkovic savage's agent um yeah. deco works for george mensch uh, i'm pretty sure yakubu's an agent Um, so yeah there's that Um, that's that's all I can think of for for right now but I'm pretty sure there's a couple at least a couple of players who have gone on to become, become agents but yeah it's a really good article and I really enjoyed it as well
0: Final question um, is from David Smith. He says, "Hi guys, a question for a quieter pod. I guess international break is as good as any." Um, David, you need to become the producer. You've uh, you've fully understood the schedule. Um, I've been keeping an eye on the fate of our release list, and I'm really disappointed to see that Michael Hector is still a free agent. Given his performances in the Scott Parker promotion season, he has clearly shown himself to be a championship level defender. He hasn't been linked with anyone since he's been released, and is still only thirty. Does any anyone have any idea what has happened do you think he has just got fed up with moving house um I mean the last one is a potential yeah. his uh list of uh, uh, clubs in his career is totally absurd I'm surprised Peter not to see Michael Hector get picked up like those th- I remember those three games last year where Tosin got sent off against West Brom and and Michael Hector adds a player I think we kept a couple of clean sheets I think Um, generally Hector was pretty solid I think more than proved that he's fully capable at championship level yes he had a bit of rotter in that final Sheffield United game, who didn't Um, I I am shocked as well to not see Michael Hector pick up a club, I just wonder if there's something going on an injury or, yeah, hard to work, put your finger on that isn't it
2: yeah I mean I'm I'm surprised too that he hasn't picked up because he's more than good enough at, at that level, the upper end of the championship table there's no doubt about that for me but it's you know, I think the, the question sort of touched on it a little bit there are a lot of factors not just for the player but also for clubs at the moment um you know you've got to be in the right environment the right place when you're 30 and have a, have a family you've got to make sure that the, the right step is, is good for everyone so um but yeah no no I don't have a an idea what why specifically um or the championship has become there's a lot less money in the championship um which makes it difficult but at the same time as a free agent you know might have to be a really good pickup for somebody. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't give you a, a, a concrete answer, unfortunately.
1: I saw him linked with a return to Aberdeen earlier this month, which I thought might be quite nice. Um, but yeah, I'd imagine that there's a, there's a very decent player there, still got a couple of years left in him for, for someone who's willing to take a chance. So good luck to him.
0: Yeah, I I really hope that he does find the the club that suits him best and uh, he'll forever be Virgil van Mike to us. Right, a couple of this will catch ons before we finish. Both of them for João Polina, which is hilarious because we've just got ourselves a really good established chart for João Polina. But anyway, um, it's funny and he is flavour of the month at the moment. So let's do it. Um, First one is from Maximilian Catalano. He just writes, song for Zhao, just a banger for a banging player. Keep up the good work at the podcast, lads. It's another one that I have no idea what the tune is for, but it's amusing. So uh, maybe Jack might be able to work it out this time. I'm pretty sure it's not Hamilton, but it might be because I don't know the soundtrack. So here we go. I
1: know what this is.
2: I can't stop this feeling. Deep inside of me Zhao, you just don't realize what you do to me when you mock them, put the press on tight, you let Ream know everything's alright I love (laughs) Jarpalinia. He's gonna to foot you <laughs> and get a yellow car. I love Charpalina. Uh,
1: that's, that's Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede, which was uh, kind of reintroduced, I would suppose, to modern parlance by the Guardians of the Galaxy film. Um, oh. So there you go but yeah really really good song I tried to
0: shazam it and I couldn't work out yeah. uh, people need to put the song titles like... in the email but anyway no, it's part of the, like game. It.
1: It's the game I like it <laughs> I like it a lot too that was fun I enjoyed the line about being two footed that was yeah. good um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and also very well well put together well you know nice nicely in tune I had a good time yeah good.
0: good yeah, loved it nice one Maximilian very much enjoyed that one definitely a banger for a banging player uh, and finally, this one from Andrew Johnston. He says, to whomever it may concern, <laughs> I thought you right. might like this parody rendition of My Eyes Adore You by Frankie Valley that I wrote <laughs> in ode of the main man, Joao Polina. Who knows? It might just catch on. Um, this is sensational.
2: Joao Polina The sunny Lisbon
1: to play for my so good I love that so song good. so much it's one of my favourite songs um, I never thought we'd hear a version of My Eyes Adored You on This Will Catch On about a Portuguese midfielder but here we are here we are that was, that was wonderful that like, genuinely yeah. wonderful that was exceptional sometimes I'm like sometimes I, I love them because I'm giggling away and sometimes I love them because they're just really beautifully put together and that was just excellent wasn't it absolutely yeah. excellent a high quality
2: stuff
0: yeah, really high quality. Uh, this will catch on today. I mean, he says the lyrics. Uh, Zhao Puliņa is world class. Well, I would say Andrew Johnston's world class uh, with with that parody rendition. Just utterly beautiful. But put it on Spotify. I'd I'd have that in my playlist. Like get it professionally recorded. Put it on Spotify. That's that's
1: on my uh, that's on my playlist. Get them Definitely. to play that before games. Stick it on the um, stick it on the PA.
0: <laughs> you know, there's that there's that lad. <laughs> um, I can't remember his name now. Um, he sings Liverpool songs.
1: Oh, uh, Jamie! Um, Jamie! Jamie
0: Webster. Webster. Maybe Andrew Johnston is our Jamie Webster. Like if we do like a, we get to a maybe when we go on the Conference League and we, you know we, we we take over a square or something like that, we need to put Andrew on stage singing yeah. Fulham songs. He's he's got the musicality. He's got the rhythm. He's got the songs. And the voice. I I say, and he's got the voice. I I think think that's Andrew's destiny um, for us. Anyway, thank you, mate. I love that. That's absolutely fantastic. World class, as we said. And that'll do for today's podcast. We need to name it. Now... I did put um a request into the uh Fulhamish Telegram group. Not a huge response, um, but uh see if any of these tickle your fancy. Uh goal scoring tune. Uh Mitro Mags Hat trick uh from Dan Cook. Joe C B said who is Haaland? Uh Joe Johnson said Mitro's in tune. I came up with one uh, a couple which it's Mitro's tyne. Nice. That and is good the superb serb as well um jack what one do you think uh works best
1: uh that was i I like metros in tune i think that's excellent that's very good i'm gonna go I'm i'm gonna nibble on that thanks very much
0: no worries that's a perfect pod name all right thank you very much for listening today and thank you very much to my guest jack collins thank you sammy for having me as ever and peter
2: rutzler oh thank you it's always a pleasure always a pleasure
0: Right. Uh, enjoy the game. If you're going this weekend, the trains are an absolute state. So um, probably start leaving on Friday evening if you want to get to Craven Cottage on time for, for that one. Um, and uh, yeah, have a lovely weekend. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday evening I think Dan Cook is hosting the podcast for the first um, time so come on the Dan Cook uh, so show him all your love and support for that pod on Sunday reacting to everything that happens in the Newcastle game and we'll have another Thursday club for you this time next week so until then come on you whites you
1: whites